Who Gets to Decide, a liberty-based podcast that brings a little piece of sanity to a confused society drowning in a culture of craziness. And here is your host, Seth Martin. All right, what's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Who Gets to Decide. This is Seth Martin, your host. Thank you for joining me this evening. Glad you're here and always happy you're listening. Well, I'm sure everybody is following the Republican debate scene or the race in the Republican Party uh, for the nominee to be president of the United States. And these debates are actually kind of interesting and they're, they're whittling down finally. Uh, they're not, you know, these, uh, these candidates aren't being whittled down as quickly as Donald Trump was able to do it uh, back in 2015. But it's, it's whittled down pretty quickly. And one of the things that I think is an anomaly and perhaps unique about this race is Vivek Ramaswamy. And most of you know that I'm a libertarian. I joined the Libertarian Party. I, I like the Libertarian candidate a lot. Well, there's, there's several, but the one I think that uh, will probably prevail is a guy named Michael Rechtenwald. And Michael Rechtenwald is actually an interesting figure because he used to be a liberal. He used to be a socialist, actually, is what he says. And he got religion, so to speak. He found out about the Libertarian Party. Actually, the, the, the woke social, social justice warrior thing kind of ensnared him. And it, he got religion over it and found the Libertarian Party, found the Mises Institute, started reading Mar- Rothbard and Mises. And some of the great thinkers that uh, that are there in the Mises Institute, I mean, literally changed his mind. Now, this is highly unusual for someone to be in their 40s or 50s and completely change their political stance or their their thinking on their whole worldview, actually. But that's what Michael Rechtenwald did. That said, I really like Vivek Ramaswamy. I uh, he's not perfect. Nobody's perfect, but he is really shaking things up in the Republican Party, and that's really what needs to happen. I think Trump, in his own way, was shaking things up in the Republican Party, too, but Trump is just not going to, in my opinion, accomplish anything. He's just not smart enough or capable enough or doesn't know enough about history and our political system. I mean, he knows about how to manipulate our political system and things like that, but I don't think he really understands how to work our system, the managerial state, things like that. I think he's, he's constantly in catch up mode. And part of that is because of his own fault. And part of it is he's he's got a bunch of people around him trying to abuse him and use him. And Vivek Ramaswamy, I don't think will let that happen. I think he is, a lot smarter, even though he's half of Trump's age. And he's just, I'm really impressed with this guy. He's maybe on the side of arrogant, but then so is Trump, right? So I wanted to contrast, really what I want to do in this episode is I want to to try to demonstrate that all the Republican nominees, except Vivek Ramaswamy, are all the same. They're all saying the same things. 
They all hold the same worldview. They all have the same opinions. And they all desperately want to be liked by the elites and the mainstream press and the political class, the established political class in Washington, D.C. And that is just more of the same and is not going to get us anywhere. And I want to try to demonstrate that in today's show and play some clips from Vivek Ramaswamy. I also have one from Nikki Haley, and I want to contrast uh, the two. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to dig a little deeper into Vivek Ramaswamy because he is saying all the right things. He's doing all the right things that need to happen in the Republican Party. And nothing would make me happier than to see this guy become the next president of the United States. Well, I think you look at the fact that we're almost $34 trillion in debt. 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 50% of American families can't afford diapers. One in six American families can't pay their utility bills. You have parents who are worried about what's being said or taught to their child in the classroom. There's no transparency. We have anti-Semitism all over our college campuses, and students feel unsafe. You've got an open border where terrorists can come through, and we've got wars happening all over us, and there are dangers around us. You know, everybody wants to talk about President Trump. Well, I can talk about President Trump. I can tell you that I think he was the right president at the right time. I don't think he's the right president now. I think that he put us $8 trillion in debt, and our kids are never going to forgive us for that. I think the fact that he used to be right on Ukraine and, and foreign issues, now he's getting weak in the knees and trying to be friendly again. I think that we've got to go back to the fact that we can't live in the past. We can't live in other headlines. We've got to start focusing on what's going to make America strong and proud. And that's what I'm focused on doing. Let's make sure we pay down our debt. I think we need an accountant in the White House. Let's make sure that we have transparency in the classroom. As a mom, I know what that means. Let's make sure we secure our borders so that our families are safe. Let's get crime down because our families want to know that they can be safe no matter where they go. And as as the wife of a combat veteran, I will tell you, a military needs to know we have our back, and we need to make sure that America is Thank you very much. So, ladies first, Nikki Haley. Now, be honest. Don't you just feel like you've heard that same spiel a hundred times on one of these debate stages? They rattle off all these problems, many of which they were they took part in creating, okay? And then they turn around and have all these answers, right? The debt's $34 trillion. 60% live paycheck to paycheck. 40% can't pay their utility bill. Oh, my God. You know, the inequality. That, that's, that's what I hear in that. I basically, that, those are Democratic talking points to me, or Democrat talking points, rather. Uh, they need to get crime down. We need to get transparency in the classroom. Yeah, I agree with all that stuff, but what's, what's missing from Nikki Haley's understanding of all these problems is that government created these problems. <laughs> this, is, this is what's the common thread among all the candidates, except for Vivek Ramaswamy. They all believe that government can solve these problems. Not recognizing or not having the, the wherewithal to recognize that government created all of these problems. These problems exist because of government power and politicians like them 
catering to voters and promising voters stuff and things at the expense of their neighbors. And it's just the lack of awareness is, is really astounding. And, and I see this all the time within the Republican Party. They don't, they don't even recognize that they are the problem. They created the problem, not just them, but Democrats too. But that government as a whole is part of the problem. The, the closest thing I ever heard a Republican say to this, other than Vivek Ramaswamy, was that lady a few years ago, and I've forgotten her name. She was the Hewlett-Packard executive, and she was running uh, for presidents, for president. And she was talking about how big government loves big business, and that was her thing. And she was about as close to the idea as anybody had ever heard. But Vivek Ramaswamy is all over this third rail. And, I mean, is creating a lot of problems in the Republican Party. You think Trump creates problems in the Republican Party? If this guy is somehow elevated to the Republican Party, it, it is going to revolutionize the Republican Party, because he's essentially a libertarian, or he has a libertarian kind of base about him, and and it comes through in his his policy prescriptions, the way he thinks about certain civil liberties, the way he thinks about America and what America should and shouldn't be doing. So, uh, I just want to play this fiery introduction that he had in the debate the other night. And just contrast that with, I mean, how he puts his finger right on the problem. Whereas Nikki Haley had this breathless speech that clearly was planned and recited. Uh, whereas you can you get the sense that Vivek Ramaswamy is doing just like Trump. He's, he's talking from his belief system. He's talking from what he knows to be true because of principles and because of logic and reality. And I think it's just a stark difference. Uh, Mr. Ramaswamy, let me turn to you. Uh, please make your case. Why would you, uh, why should you be the nominee and not the former president? I think there's something deeper going on in the Republican Party here. And I am upset about what happened last night. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018. 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. And I think that we have to have accountability in our party. For that matter, Ron, if you want to come on stage tonight, you want to look the GOP voters in the eye and tell them you resign, I will turn over my, yield my time to you. And frankly, look, the people there are cheering for losing in the Republican Party. Think about who's moderating this debate. This should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. We'd have 10 times the viewership asking questions that GOP primary voters actually care about and bringing more people into our party. You think the Democrats, and we've got Christian Welker here, you think the Democrats would actually hire Greg Gutfeld to host a Democratic debate? They wouldn't do it. And so the fact of the matter is, I mean, Christian, I'm going to use this time because this is actually about you in the media and the corrupt media establishment ask you the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that you pushed on this network for years. Was that real or was that Hillary Clinton made up disinformation? Answer the question. Go. Mr. Ross, this is how we get our country back. We need accountability because this media rigged the 2016 election. They rigged the 2020 election with a Hunter Biden laptop story. Mr. Ramos, and they're going to rig this election. Your time is up. Let me turn to Governor, Governor Christie. 
Yeah, Republicans are kind of stuck in this old way of doing politics. They think they're in the 1950s. And so they do things like, uh, the thing I want to bring up is, well, there are two things I want to bring up, but right there at the end, he was talking about, do you think the Democratic Party would hire Greg Gutfeld to moderate the Democratic debates? Of course not. But we've got Lester Holt and uh, Kristen, whatever her name is, I forgot. She's new on Meet the Press. She just got promoted. Of course they wouldn't. This is a great point. But but you've got leadership in the Republican Party that so desperately wants the approval of the press that they're willing to do stupid stuff like this that makes their candidates look bad. And the reason the candidates look bad with questioning from Lester Holt and Kristen is because they're asking questions, they're asking loaded type questions. And to his point, you'd be better off with Joe Rogan and Elon Musk and Tucker Carlson asking questions. The questions would be more meaningful to Republican members, and it would we would actually learn something. We could actually learn that Nikki Haley and Chris Christie and Ron DeSantis are part of the deep state. <laughs> you know, we could actually learn that. But as a result, we don't learn anything about them other than when you listen to them, they all sound the same, and Vivek Ramaswamy sounds different. But I love that part where he asks her, you know, about the uh, the Russia hoax. Was that real or was that was that uh, Hillary Clinton misinformation? Go answer. Of course, she didn't answer, but I just thought that was classic and very very brave and fearless. I mean, this guy is fearless for such a young man. He's, he's, the guy knows a lot. I mean, he's very, very intelligent and uh, knows what he's talking about. I'm saying something very simple. The First Amendment protects all opinions. If you're peacefully expressing an opinion, no matter how heinous that opinion is, it's protected by the First Amendment. So if competitors in this Republican primary take Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida, who just effectively by fiat decided that members of one particular student group had to disband. They could not be part of that student group, Students for Justice in Palestine. That's a classic cut and dry textbook First Amendment violation. The government can't say that certain people can't associate and express certain opinions. It's not even like a hard case. This is an easy straight down the fairway case. Now, I say this as somebody who strongly disagrees with the contentions of SJP. I think that many of their comments are downright boneheaded and offensive, but the fact that it's an opinion is what allows it to be protected. And so these politicians will say things like, you know, Nikki Haley has said very similar things too in a different context that, well, if they're providing material support to a terrorist organization, then that means that they are breaking the law in Florida or whatever other state can't allow them to exist on a state campus. What was their material support? They weren't providing munitions. They were tweeting. They said, we support them. We're part of this movement. That's not something that counts as material support for a terrorist organization. That's the expression of an opinion, the exact thing the First Amendment was designed to protect. If the government can decide what we can and can't say, even if it's the things that I disagree with, I will fight to the death to protect it. There's no point. The rest of it doesn't matter. Everything else we debate and discuss and fight over, it just doesn't matter if the government can decide what opinions do and don't get expressed. And so but we got to stand on the side of principle, and I'm pretty disappointed in most of my fellow Republican politicians who are bending the knee, now embracing the methods of censorship when it suits them. He is absolutely correct on this issue. You've got people, and look, 
I don't like it either. Okay. I don't like the fact that people are wearing Palestinian flags and the Palestinian black and white scarf thing over their head and running through the street and talking about death to Israel and all this stuff. I don't like it either. But this is this is why it's so important to culturally assimilate people that immigrate here. You know, what we've done, I mean, this is another subject altogether, but just real quickly, what we've done in America is we have allowed people to immigrate here and just be who they are from wherever they were. And that was never how it was when the Irish came over, when the Italians came over back in the 18th century and in, in 19th century, they became Americans. Okay. That's, that's what it was to be an American. You were Irish, but then you turned into an American. And this kind of started with like African-Americans. We, we talk about black Americans as African-Americans. And now we have all these people, uh, from different places and I'm fine with that, but they, they don't share our culture. And, and part of that reason they don't is because there's too many coming at one time. When you have large groups of people coming at one time, it makes it more difficult to assimilate them. Now, the thing about the free speech, he's absolutely right on. We've talked about this. This was a big deal during COVID. Um, it was so difficult to, to talk about the truth, to arrive at a place called the truth because so many different opinions were being batted down or suppressed altogether. And this is, this is a big no-no in our system. And for the Republican candidates, really all of them, okay, all of them are so deeply tied to Israel and I am too, but they're so deeply tied to Israel that they're willing to cast aside free speech. And in Nikki Haley's case, uh, they're providing material support. This is how the government, this is how they take your civil liberties. This is how they abuse their citizens, is they redefine what material support means and then throw you in jail <laughs> and say, well, you're a terrorist. I mean, this, this cannot stand. We cannot let and we certainly can't have somebody be president of the United States that thinks like that, that thinks that protesting, uh, pro, pro-Palestinian protesting is providing material support to a terrorist organization. We can't, that, that cannot be in America. We cannot be with that uh, or else it'll be the end of America. So I, I think Vivek is dead correct on this and, um, and the rest of them should follow his lead. I don't think that side wins, though. I think that our side wins over the long run. And this is an age-old debate. I mean, ask Galileo. Yes, he did die on, on the altar. That's true. But over time, the other side actually won. So free speech and open debate, the path to truth runs right through it. And that's who we are as Americans, right? So there are other countries. If you want to do that, you go to any other country for most of human history. It was done the other way. But the premise of the United States is in the First Amendment for a reason is that all opinions, when peacefully expressed, are allowed, period. If you're peacefully expressing an opinion, the government cannot stop you, directly, indirectly, or otherwise. And then half of this is a free speech culture. Part of this is that we embrace. That's part of our national identity, that you get to speak your mind openly as long as I get to in return. 
And, you know, this is part of the post 9-11 problem that we had in the Republican Party. Now we're seeing Dick Cheney 2.0 all over again. We could talk about the pro-war component of this, and that's important, but even the anti-speech component of this in the wake of the passage of the Patriot Act and the weaponization of a justice system, then by Republicans, what we saw was that certain opinions could not be tolerated. Now, would you see the left then adopted those methods on steroids to say that if you're a conservative, certain opinions can't be tolerated. The weaponization of a justice system to go after your political opponents. This is a fruit of a poisonous tree. The poisonous tree began in the 21st century version of it in the wake of 9-11, in the aftermath of 9-11. This is such a mature insight. Uh, and this is along the lines of what Ron Paul had always been saying. And, you know, you just cannot, you cannot suppress free speech or rule that some people's speech is not free speech and other people's speech is and not have some serious consequence around that. Look at what happened during COVID. I mean, you don't need a better example than what happened during COVID. The, the U.S. government had a phone line into Twitter and was telling them what to suppress and what not to. I mean, they were controlling, effectively, the town square. And the truth, like he said, runs right through the middle of free speech. You cannot get to the truth without free speech. Otherwise, all you have is some person of authority standing up, telling what everybody else, everybody else must believe. That's it. The only other thing you have to do is appeal to authority. And we saw what that got us during COVID, right? The authorities were all wrong. Every one of them. Every time they were wrong. Not just a little bit wrong. They were 100% wrong 100% of the time. And that all has to do with voices were suppressed. Speech was limited, was censored. I mean, he's right. None of this other stuff really matters if we don't have free speech. That's why I don't like the whole concept of hate speech. Hate speech is just someone being hateful. Someone having a hateful opinion. You know, you you are allowed to hate people, but you can't aggress against them. You can't you can't uh, initiate violence against them. Uh, I can hate white people. I can hate brown people. I can hate Italians. I just can't pick up a weapon and and assault them. Okay, I can't uh, I can't initiate force against them. I can initiate a conversation. They can initiate one with me. We can talk about something and completely disagree, but you can't initiate force. Hate speech is not uh, violence. This is this is one of the, the things that the, the Marxist wokeness brought to us, and it's something we're going to have to flush out of our society because, again, what he said there, if, if you don't have free speech, none of this other stuff matters. We can't... We can't even really debate any of these other things without free speech. It's interesting. And it's also interesting. I mean, the things, everyone has something that gets under their skin. You know, people are shouting, if they're shouting death to Christians, death to white people, whatever. I mean, this is the BLM movement a couple of years ago. And ironically, the BLM movement actually had the early strands of anti-Semitism baked into it a few years ago. Back then, some of the same people who were telling me, hey, have you ever tried going to one of their events? Maybe you want to listen and be empathetic are now head over heels about the fact that 
the same nonsense is coming in a different form in terms of anti-Semitic jargon on campuses. My view is across the board, whether you're BLM, whether you're somebody who's denying the efficacy of vaccines, somebody who is denying the existence of climate change. Now, I personally believe that the climate change agenda is separately a hoax, but whatever it is, whoever you are, I may agree with some of the things you say. I may disagree with some of the things you say. Left wing, right wing, it doesn't matter. You are allowed to express an opinion. That's the American way of life, and that's what we stand for. Yeah, these, these Bill of Rights, first of all, they're prohibitions against the government. All of them say Congress shall pass no law or Congress shall create no law or something like that. They don't, they're not prohibitions against uh, individuals, you know. Um, it says Congress shall pass no law abridging free speech. Well, okay, what difference does it make is if, it, if it's the Congress or if it's some agency of the government? It's still, you know, the, the authority. Uh, you know, we, we've we've somehow we've somehow ceded authority to all these groups. Like during COVID, public health, you know, the Department of Health and Human Services, somehow could curtail, curtail, curtail our speech if it didn't comport with what the CDC said or what the WHO said. And this is this is a real problem in a, in a in a quote unquote. Uh, self-government. I mean, you can't. You gotta have multiple opinions, and you gotta have free, free expression. Another example of this that comes to mind is the whole racism. You know, that's racist. Well, he's just a racist, da 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 da, or he's a xenophobe, or he's this. You know, they, they kind of resort to calling you names, or uh, somehow uh, characterizing you as someone that's, uh, you know persona non grata in society. And this is, this is a way to limit speech. This is a way to kill debate. The Democrats are geniuses at this. They have got the, they got the Republican Party so twisted in knots that it, it doesn't even know which way is up and which way is down. That's why you got people arguing for some of these things. is because they see the Democrats doing it and being successful the problem is it doesn't lead to a successful society. If, if you were to put the Democrats in charge just forever, we would just be doomed. The, the government would, I mean, it might last 20 years and then just sink like a stone. But this is because what the Democrats advocate for doesn't actually work in the real world. Um, but instead of being an, a counterbalance to that, the Republicans are subscribing to that. And I totally agree with him that all the seeds of all this stuff started after 9-11, the war on terror, the Patriot Act. All these things came back to bite Republicans. These are things Republicans put into existence and are now suffering under and are all twisted up and can't figure out which way's up and which way's down. Unsurprising. I think it means that, look, I think voters deserve a choice. I think he did the honorable thing, but we have Dick Cheney 2.0. It's crawling all over this Republican primary. Voters deserve that choice. They don't need four or five of them, right? Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, depending on a given day, Ron DeSantis. They're different flavors of something that we've had in the past. And if voters want that choice, they get that choice. But I don't think they need five of those choices 
really the same ideology, the same worldview masquerading in different professional politician clothing, stuff a different suit with the same ideology. You know, I don't think we need five different stuffed suits with that ideology. One is plenty. And so I think he did the country a service by getting out of the race. He's a good family man. I respect anybody who stands for the good values in our culture of... Well, I left off the first part of that question, but that's a question about Mike Pence getting out of the race. And the brilliant point that he brings up here that I want to highlight is he said, look, I think he did the country a service. He's no different than Nikki Haley or Chris Christie or Ron DeSantis. Uh, and, you know, he's saying, and I agree with him, actually, that it's good that the American people have choices. But you don't need to show us five people who are all basically the same and say, choose. That's not a choice. That's, that's the establishment hedging their bets, right? They, they don't know, is Nikki Haley going to win because she's appealing and attractive? Is Chris Christie going to win because he talks tough and he's got this presence about him? Is Mike Pence going to win because he's a family man and a Christian and he'll appeal to the evangelicals? Look, they're all the same. They would all wield power exactly the same. That's his point. And he's absolutely right about that. And what he's saying is, I'm not one of those guys. I'm, I'm actually the, the choice that's different. You could throw a rock at any of those um, and, and end up with the same policies in Washington, D.C. And what he's saying is, you're not going to get that with him. And I agree. You're not. And I don't think anybody knows what his position is. I think he doesn't know what his position is. That's the truth, right? If you listen to what he said on Ukraine, it's like a flag that waves in whatever direction the wind blows on a given day. And look, these are hard questions. So I don't fault him for not having it figured out, but I just couldn't. And I don't think he's going to be the president, so it's not going to be his responsibility anyway. But he'll have years to figure that out. I just don't know what that position is, so I can't tell you whether there's daylight between mine and his or not. I'll tell you what mine is. End this war in Ukraine, period. Stop giving another dime of support, negotiate a clear deal that is crystal clear that NATO will not admit Ukraine to NATO, freeze the current lines of control, and require in return that Putin exit his military alliance with China. That weakens the Russia-China alliance, which is the single greatest threat that we face in this country. And also, as part of that deal, get Russia to get the nukes out of Kaliningrad, get Russia to get their military presence out of the Western Hemisphere, Cuba, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and otherwise. Open up trade relations with Russia. I know you're not supposed to say that out loud, but I do. I think that that actually helps us secure some measure of peace and stability by weakening the Russia-China alliance, moving from a bilateral international order to a trilateral one where neither of Russia, China, or the United States are aligned with each other. I think that's actually pro-stability and it's pro-American. So that's a pretty clear view about where I stand. I have no idea where Ron DeSantis So he was asked about Ron DeSantis and, and his view and how it contrasts with his own. And he was essentially saying he doesn't know what Ron DeSantis's view is because he hasn't been very clear on it. And then he proceeded to be very clear on what his view was. And I'm going to tell you, that's about as perfect as it can get from somebody who's going to be or who could be in Washington, D.C. I don't think we could really expect better than that from a candidate. Now, he's less good on the Israel-Palestine piece but I think everybody's just going to be bad on that. I think, you know, there's really no way to go back and fix the Israel-Palestine thing. It should have never 
There should have never been a uh, an Israeli state, in, in my opinion. They should have never done that in 1948. And had they just maintained the status quo and called it something else, the uh, Palestinians and the Jews would probably be living side by side today and getting along and trading. There'd be no Hamas. There'd be no Hezbollah. I mean, that's, that's my opinion. Uh, it certainly couldn't be much worse than it is right now. I mean, I think that's, I think that's definitely true, that it couldn't be much worse than it is right now. Uh, even if I'm wrong, it, there's no way it could be worse than it is right now. So um, anyway, I, I, I love his definitive um, talk on, uh, on Ukraine. In another talk I heard him, he was talking about how, look, you know, Ukraine is not democratic. You know, we're talking about it's a democracy and we need to defend democracy. Look, this guy has eliminated all the opposition parties. He's consolidated the press under one state-run media. He's, you know, he's done all kinds of things that we would consider uh, activities of a, like a tin-pot dictator. So it's he's not it's not really a democracy, right? He's suspended elections, right? He said, "Oh, I'm gonna we're gonna suspend elections unless we can get another fifty billion dollars or whatever out of the United States." I mean, this is not the actions. These are not the actions of a, of a democratic society. Okay, it's just not. And so we've been lied to, and that's fine. We get lied to every day by our government, but here's a guy who's willing to call it out. And, and say, stop, that's it. I'm not signing any money over to Ukraine. Ukraine needs to negotiate a deal. And, he, and then he also brings up some brilliant points about, you know, drive a wedge into the Russia-China alliance, military alliance. I think that's brilliant. Trade with China. I, I mean, trade with Russia. I think that's brilliant. Bring Russia into the world like we brought China into the world. That's really what Putin wants. Putin does not want to reconstitute the Soviet Union. That's just a lie. That's just a lie that they tell you to keep you afraid and, and, and manipulate you into supporting their war in Ukraine. The real divide is when it comes to foreign policy, do you believe in exclusively advancing the American interest or do you believe it's America's job to be a global hegemon that plays effectively the role of the global police? That's a divide, and you can make legitimate arguments on either side. I'm on one side of that divide. Most of the other candidates in this race are on the other side of that divide. It's Dick Cheney 2.0, as I said, and voters deserve that choice if that's what voters want. I don't, I've met people across this country. I don't think that is what they want, but it's fine for a candidate to stand for that point of view. Now, many of them are standing for that point of view because some of them stand to make money off of it. That's the dirty little secret of this. Take a Nikki Haley. I mean, this is disgusting. Right, somebody who went from being in debt in her time when she left the UN to becoming a military contractor, sitting on the board of Boeing, collecting stock options during this presidential campaign, making eight million plus dollars. War is hell unless you're actually a military contractor sitting on the board of Boeing, in which case war is good. So that incentivizes some of these people to adopt policies that really about are about lining their own pocketbook, not about their actual views. But other people, I think, genuinely hold this view that it's the job of the United States to be the global police, even if that does lead to armed conflict from time to time. That's the real divide. So you could probably guess the question. The question was about what do you think it is that divides Republicans? What, it, what is it that, why is, why are so many people for Trump? 
and then other people are for, you know, pick one of them. Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, uh, Chris Christie, Ron DeSantis. What, where, where is the divide there? Why, why is it that people can't understand why people are supporting Trump? And I think Vivek Ramaswamy puts his finger right on it. There are some people, I call them the bombs away club, but there are some people that do believe that America is the greatest and the most awesome of awesomest countries that has ever existed. And that somehow from that, and I'm not saying we're not great. I'm saying we, we definitely were at one time, but that somehow that entitles us to be the world's policemen and to run around wagging our finger at people and telling them how they should live in their countries. That's what Nikki Haley wants to do. That's what Chris Christie wants to do. That's what Mike Pence wants to do. This is the power that they're drawn to. This is why they put themselves through this total hell to become president of the United States. Because, and, and Vivek says this all the time, I'm not running for president of Israel. I'm running for president of the United States. But you know what the, the reality is? The reality is if you're running for president of the United States, you are running for president of these other countries because the United States has the money. We can, we've got the printing, we got the only printing press in the world that matters. Okay. And we got the, this ginormous military that is in 175 countries around the world. We've got, we've got, uh, just technology and a force that's, you know, it scares people. I mean, we are the, just like when you're, when you get pulled over by the cops uh, for speeding, your heart starts racing, right? You get a little nervous. Well, this is how people feel about the United States. They're nervous about the United States because the United States sees its interest everywhere, literally everywhere. The United States doesn't look at a single square mile on the globe and not see its interest. And I think Vivek is right. This is, this is what's dividing the Republican Party. It's not so much Trump. It's, it's that, it's that what Trump stands for. Trump stands for somebody who wants to get along with other countries, somebody who wants to trade with other countries, somebody who wants to do business with other countries. And, you know, uh, I think it was, it was either Calvin Coolidge or Warren Harding or somebody like that that said the business of the United States is business. It's not war. Okay. That is not that is not the story of the United States. That's the modern story of the United States, but that's not our, that's not our historical place in the world. That's only been since 1945 and specifically since 1971 when we went off the gold standard. So, I mean, this is really the crux of the matter. And if you're, if you're voting for somebody, I mean, I'm just going to, I'm going to, give some unwanted advice here, but if you're voting for somebody and, and they stand for this, this worldview where the United States has an interest everywhere, then in, in you and you plan to vote for that person, you're part of the problem. Okay. People in this country need to stop voting for people who think that way, because that way of thinking leads to nothing but conflict always and everywhere. And this is why I like Vivek. I like libertarian candidates as well. But the reality is, is 
the libertarian candidates can't win right now. I think our, our major function is to force certain conversations. And I like Vivek. I like Vivek over Trump. I, I, there's things I like about Trump. But the reality is we're not going to get where we need to be with Trump. That's just the reality. Look, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. It was something I've been wanting to say for a long time and uh, just finally had the audio, I guess, from Vivek to, to say some of these things. And I hope you appreciate it. I hope you respect it. Uh, if you got some comments otherwise, I mean, leave them in the comments section and let me know how you feel. I'll, I'll read them and uh, maybe we can circle back around here on the show and, and talk about the perspective that some of the listeners have on this subject. But I like Vivek. I'm literally thinking about voting for this guy. I mean, this is my guy, I think. And uh, I, I was kind of leaning Robert F. Kennedy, but then he went crazy on, on I mean, his, his, his explanation of Israel, I think, is way over the top and, and counterproductive. So I'm no longer a Robert F. Kennedy guy, but I like Vivek Ramaswamy. So if you agree, then go cast your vote for this guy. Uh, but uh, whether you agree or disagree, it doesn't really matter. I like that you come in and listen. And if you would keep doing that, share the show, write me a review, uh, just tell somebody about the show. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up. We're going to be with family. Share it with your family members. Help me build an audience. The show is still going to be changing. I just am so busy right now. I'm just not able to do it, but um, I am going to, to do it. And we'll probably, uh, part of the change will probably involve a video instead of just audio. And I'm in the midst of trying to figure out how to do that. So until we start doing that, keep coming back and listening to who gets to decide. All right, everybody. Peace.